Andy, hi, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Very good. We, we were just discussing before um, recording how we met, and I think that might be a good, uh, well, e-met, I suppose is a better way to put it, um, ju just as context. And it was via the webinar um, of Steve Rolnick and, and Joel back in um, 2020, last, last year. Why, why did they invite you on? Um, well, yeah, it was it. That was sort of lockdown, the, the the one and only lockdown we thought we'd ever have. But uh, but yeah, they, you know, so uh, Steve uh, contacted. We I've been in sort of dialogue with them for quite a, a couple of years, and then out of the blue, he just uh, contacted me and just said that they've got these series of events coming up, these webinars, um, and do I want to come on and just talk about coaching? And he kind of didn't put any parameters out there. He just said, "Come on to the the webinar." Um, there'll be X amount of people that will be joined in and just talk. And then we, we don't want to know what you're going to talk about. Um, so there's no, like, there's no sort of structure to it. Just go out there, talk, and we'll sort of, we'll go from there and pick away any questions or, or sort of uh, anything we want to sort of pick at. And that's exactly what they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was brilliant. And, and that's what I heard. And then say so we, we kind of um, linked up or whatever you want to call it on, on Twitter. Um, and, and I was interested to know, you know more about your your approach um i mean sort of you mentioned you were sort of following him or, or reading his work for a few years before what how did you how did you sort of come across motivational interviewing in in your on your journey well it was because I, I was just researching sort of other other avenues to try and connect with players and to try and build relationships and how can i use the time spent with players there's a lot of time I can spend sort of maybe an hour or two hours on pitch training, but then I spend a lot of other time sort of sat around with them um, outside of the context of say training on a rugby pitch. And I was just looking to see how I can utilize my time better and help them along the way. Um, and I came across all the sort of usual uh, sort of mentoring IDP sort of stuff. And then I'd never heard of sort of motivational interviewing before at all and was quite interested in it um, and saw that Stephen and Joel seemed to have invented it and be the only people doing it. So I was quite intrigued by it. And then, and then I just messaged him and said, can he, can, I'm really interested. Has he got anything he can send me? Can I come and listen? So he invited me on to actually just participate in watching a few webinars. And that's where sort of, yeah, I got a real interest in it really. Yeah. Yeah. So, so would you say that now that's sort of part of your, your way of coaching? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would. I mean, I'd say it's definitely helped with around uh, just interaction with with players and how I give feedback and how I talk to them. Um, and especially with uh, sort of younger players, development players from the age of sort of like 13 all the way up to 20 is what I deal with. Um, it's a, I just find it's a very interesting way of, uh, yeah, just sort of try, just helping them reach their full potential and just trying to get the best out of them um really yeah yeah okay so to, to put some context to that then can you sort of just tell me about who you're working with at the moment uh yeah so really um at the moment i'm so working across a couple of different areas so i work at gloucester uh, rugby club with their academy players so uh they're sort of junior academy players there as a pathway coach and then i've got a similar similar role over at Scotland um, where I deal with a lot of the sort of Scottish qualified players that are based in sort of England and Wales that qualify to play for Scotland for a relative 
Um, and then on top of that, it's working directly with the sort of the Scottish age grade teams, especially the under 16s. Um, and then we have our sort of international games and camps and stuff um, there. Um, and then with lock, with having various lockdowns and furlough and all that kind of stuff, it's given me an opportunity to um, work back in a school. So a local um, big uh, private school, Malvern College, where I've been coaching rugby there this year um, during the whole lockdown. Yeah. Blimey, you're, you're a busy man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit busy. And, and sometimes I do generally think to myself, I don't know how I can fit sometimes everything into one day, but um, yeah. I, I just just managed to get there in the end. <laughs> yeah. OK. So how, how, what does your week look like then? Um, so a lot of it, so the, the, a lot of the sort of Gloucester stuff is sort of late afternoons through the evenings. Um, school stuff can range depending on um, depending on sort of that again is sort of mornings and afternoons. And then the Scotland stuff is a lot of weekends, half terms, and um, it fits around the school holidays quite nicely because that's really when we get access to most of the kids for sort of long camps or games um so yeah it can be sometimes it can be a bit of a sporadic week but um but yeah i i like it because every every day is different and i get to deal mm. with sort of two or three different groups of kids yeah 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 so you said that it spans from what do you say, do you say 15 up to 20 yeah 15 up to 20 um so yeah which can be which can be uh so a year or so ago, it was dealing with a lot of under 13s and 14s with the DPP, but then it sort of moved to 15s and 16s with the sort of academy rugby coaching stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, which is, you know, it, it's helped me a lot in my coaching because a kid that's 13 is completely different to someone who's 18, 19, who's you know, sort of going into the step of sort of young adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's difficult, but it um, definitely coaching the youngsters makes me better at coaching the older older kids and coaching the older kids makes me better at coaching the younger kids so it complements each other quite well yeah yeah it would and and being able to sort of switch style I guess some days you have to kind of switch styles on, on the same day so you kind of got into your groove with this group and then it's like right well this this lot are older I need to shift gears here yeah so um the the sort of my coaching sort of style is it's quite as people would describe it as quite a spirited approach it's quite um so it's quite sort of high tempo when I'm coaching with the kids and I I I want them to be sort of centering as much involved in the session as possible um but sort of my my sort of philosophy around sort of better people better players doesn't change from sort of under 13 up to these the, the the ones that are going into young adulthood it's the same sort of um it's the same sort of I'm, I'm still going on talking about behaviors and values and how they act with the younger kids as much as I am with the ones that are slightly older yeah how, how does that um how does that go down with the different age groups um it, it's quite with the with the older ones it's it uh it's a little bit easier because they've they've they're facing their own challenges that the ones that are 13 and 14 aren't, especially if they're going off to university or they're going into full-time work or even the ones that are going into professional rugby, they've got their own challenges that differ, but I still find that I'll still work on the same sort of principles and behaviors with the younger ones as I will with the older ones. It's sort of that constant reinforcement to, to help them along the way. Um, so especially around things of having like integrity and being accountable and, um all those different kinds of things that's just, that that spans across 
all the years because those sort of youngsters probably don't have an experienced enough yet to understand about sort of what integrity might look like as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it can be challenging, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely rewarding in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you relate that to rugby? Cause say, you know, a, a team, a team comes along and they think, right, we, you know, we're, we're doing our rugby training here, which involves, you know, ball skills and running around and scoring tries and kicking and all that stuff. The coach is talking us to about integrity and behavior. How, how do you kind of draw those two things together? Um, so I, I, I spend quite a lot of time, um, when I'm giving feedback or talking to players, I spend probably 70, 80% of my time is actually spent talking about the behaviors that they display. So in a, in a, in a game of rugby, a player might make a line break and it's a fantastic line break and he scored a try. So it's important to praise that he scored the try and what he's done. But actually there might be one or two other kids that are chasing back from the defense 50 meters away and they don't give, give up, even though he's clear and he's going to score the try and, it'll be a miracle if he doesn't so those kids that bust a gut to get there I will I will single that out to the group um, and say to them sort of what behaviors does that display because that there is a bit of resilience determination and and that sort of not giving up um, which is great for rugby but it's also good for life so for those for those sort of kids to display that and to just get them thinking to themselves that actually that bit of hard work being relentless and sort of not giving up that's actually really good life values and life skills to have um and you can learn that through rugby um i think especially with rugby because it's such a ferocious contact sport um but yeah so you're taking you know real examples of what's just happened on the pitch to to demonstrate these these values that, that you just described um, and, and I guess then that the, you know, the boys feel good about what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. And it's the, it's, and it's for those with working with younger kids, the ability of how good they are at rugby skills ranges massively. And actually there might be, I come across kids that might be really, really good at passing a rugby ball and running with a rugby ball, but there might be loads of other stuff that they're not very good at yet or they need to work on. So for me to be able to uh, focus on behaviours and stuff that they might not necessarily see as important, that that they enjoy it and I, it gives them confidence. And for me, someone who can display good behaviours, for me, having those behaviours and those values is just as important as someone who can run, kick, pass, tackle, really well in rugby I probably put them above mm. above skills because realistically it's the, the it's the ones that have you know that understand determination and working hard and um, all that kind of stuff that they're the ones that they might not be the most skillful but that nine times out of ten they're the ones that usually go all the way um, and, and turn professional um, but to add context to that is uh, a lot of kids from my experience sometimes don't know what hard work looks like or they don't understand uh what resilience is or what uh all these kinds of big words because they just haven't lived long enough to maybe experience it yet Um, or they haven't been shown it through parenting or teaching or whatever it is so sometimes it can come down to the coaches and us to maybe show them what that looks like yeah and that, that seems to be so important these days you know there's there still seems to be such value attached to identifying sort of, 
how can I put it, talent at an early age, as opposed to some of these characteristics that you've just said. So, you know, some there's, there's a kid who, you know, all round great, scores loads of tries, puts all the tackle, da, 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 but, but maybe doesn't have the same kind of work ethic. Um, or, or perhaps they're bigger than everybody else, and, and that's a great advantage at a younger age, and, and therefore gets a lot of praise heaped upon them. And someone else who's, you know, got some some good ability, but but not so big, doesn't have the same kind of success, doesn't get the same kind of, of praise. But it sounds like you know you're really stepping back to see the bigger picture rather than the classic of just homing in on the best players in inverted commas on the field. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think what happens a lot is the coaches and people involved in coaching teams and stuff, will, they will, those players that are stand out, I always say it's the, you know, the sort of the cream will always rise to the top. It'll always get there. Um, it might need a little bit of help, but it will get there. It's that skim milk underneath that needs the really good teaching and the really good coaching. Um, because those those standout players, it's probably because they're scoring the most points or the most goals or scoring the most tries. And it's really easy to praise the outcome. Yeah. What I try and do and what I try and get other coaches to do is think about praise the intent for something. So a lot of kids that might not stand out so much, probably from the outside would make a lot of mistakes. Um, so if you watch a session or a game, they might drop the ball a lot or miss kick it or not score or miss opportunities. And, and, and sometimes that will lead a coach not to praise them. Whereas I, I, I'm a big believer in look at the intent behind what's happened. Look at the build up and then praise that mm -hmm. the outcome wasn't there because they just need to work on it. Um, but as long as you keep reinforcing that and giving them the confidence, eventually they'll get there. Um, Cause I saw the other day, it was interesting when England won the 2003 world cup, Johnny Wilkinson missed two drop goals, one in the first half, one in the second half, but no one talks about that. <laughs> Everyone, every, every, everyone talks about the, the drop goal he got, which won England the World Cup. So actually, you know, he's made two mistakes there, but no one talks about it. It's yeah. like uh, I saw someone say the other day that Bruno Fernandes, his last game for Man United, uh, he, he messed up 36 passes in one game. But the one pass he did make was the one that set up the goal. And that's what people talk about. Yeah. So it's that sort of reinforcing with these players. Like, it's OK to make mistakes and you know, praise that intent because eventually it will, it, it will come off. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? And, you know, where did you get this, this kind of, your, well, your intent, your, your ideas about coaching, where, where have they come from? Uh, so, I mean, I had a, my sort of journey into coaching was slightly different. So I sort of played rugby up until I was about 18, 19 and then stopped playing because I went into, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I ended up going into the army and then came out of the army and then went into working on a farm and then decided I wanted to go into coaching because I started coaching part-time um, at a local club. And that kind of got me intrigued into coaching. So I kind of did a few jobs beforehand um, that I, I don't know. It, I learned a lot about people and in the jobs that I did, you learn a lot and you're in high pressured environments, but it teaches you a lot sort of unknowingly you learn a lot, but my, it all sort of came together and changed for me was I was lucky that a local private school took a punt on me and employed me full time to coach rugby there. And they had a guy in there called Sean Perry who coached, uh, was coaching England under 18s at the time. And he played professionally for England and Bristol and breathe. Um, 
and and my sort of first year he wasn't coaching there um and then my second year he was coaching there and he kind of changed my whole approach to coaching and really helped mentor me um and moved me away from being a very outcome focused maybe win focused coach who really cared about what happened on a Saturday when we played games against other schools to focus more on actually helping these people as individuals and seeing them for what they are, which is human beings and children that need to have a bit of fun, you know, loads of different things around let's create enjoyable sessions for them to engage in and look at them that way. And that kind of changed everything for me really. Mm -hmm. And that was back in 2015 that happened. Yeah. And that was probably a a catalyst in me going down the path that I've gone down. And and was that was that really quite a big change for you to make? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I I remember we had a first team game, and we're like me and the, him and another coach were on the sidelines, and uh, I was kind of shouting onto the pitch what I wanted the players to do and saying, "You go here, you go there, come this way." And he literally pulled me to one side and was like, stop putting, stop telling them what to do. Stop right. putting information onto the pitch. Let them problem solve. Let them discover it themselves. And then at half time or at the end of the game, we can just offer out a few questions to them. Um, so for me, I was a bit taken back. Like mm -hmm. I actually thought, what's he going on about? Like, surely I need to be telling them what to do. So it was a, it was a massive learning moment for me. Um, and it was difficult. But actually, as soon as it happened, that whole year sort of, I went on this massive learning journey and then I look back on it now and think how on earth was I coaching like that before? Like the kids must have thought I was an absolute dick at the way I was treating them. Um, but like, so honestly, common, like yeah, so yeah. Common way of doing it. Yeah. I, I remember like after that, we had, he had that chat with me, I got back home and I had my head in my hands and I was like, I don't think I'm cut out for coaching. Like, I don't think this is for me anymore. And I was like, you know, I was like, no, 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 I just need to, you know, go away, like reflect on it and, and sort of work with him. And he sort of mentored me ever since, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, just just backtracking a little bit then. What what age were you when you went into the army? Uh, so I just finished sixth form. So I, I I wasn't very academic and I hated school, like couldn't stand it with a passion. So I did my GCSEs and then the school I was at was sort of like a normal comprehensive school uh, in Malvern called The Chase. And we had a pretty decent rugby team for sixth form, like our school rugby yeah. was run by Matt Kelly, who was a like massive Gloucestershire guy, like rugby nut, like dr drove the rugby at the school. And we used to play a lot of the local private schools. So rugby was big at the school and that kept me involved for sixth form. Okay. Otherwise, yeah. I probably would have dropped out and gone into the army two years earlier at 16. Yeah. Um, so I stayed on um, and then, yeah. And then when I was literally as soon as I finished that summer, um, I finished in the summer and then literally that August started sort of basic training. Um, and then, um, yeah. And then from there um, realized that I think I did finish that and then wanted something else to do. And I just wasn't enjoying being in the army anymore. And then, someone that I knew locally said, well, I've got a job coming up working in farming. You need no experience. I basically, he was like, I just need uh, someone who's fit and can move stuff around a farm for me. And then basically went from, went from there. And then that again, working on a farm was one hell of a, like that was one hell of a life experience more than anything. Yeah. 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 And I guess the, you know, the army, you're, you're told what to do, aren't you? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, that. You are. And then the farming, you know, you, you didn't, I'm guessing you didn't have experience of farming from what you said. 
So again, you're told you're told what to do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'd always been exactly that in like, especially with the army, you're told where to be at what time to do this. And the only and even when you're out on exercise or anything like that, you know, they, they always say, you know, the sort of the army's greatest key is sort of adaptability, because you know, the no battle plan survives first contact, it always changes. Um so you learn a bit of adaptability, but nine times out of ten you are told what to do. And then when I went into sort of doing farming, it was the same as well. Like I was told exactly what to do. Um, but yeah, the sort of I learned a lot holistically about myself farming um, because it was very much sort of leave the farm in a better place. And the farmer very much saw his he didn't own the land. He was just looking after it for um, for for a time until he passes it on to his children. So oh, it was okay. a, yeah. it was quite a, unknowingly. I look back on that now and actually I took a lot. I took a lot from it, from the respect he had for the land and the animals. Yeah, that, that's interesting. So, so do you think that actually the, the farming was a turning point in your kind of life philosophy? Yeah, definitely, because it was um, it was sort of the, the, the best quote ever. And, and, I, and I always have it in any notebook or pad or anything that I have. And on my laptop screen it is the society grows great when old men plant trees, the shade of which they were never sitting. And that resonated with me quite a lot because what we're doing now, we, it, the, you've got to have a bigger picture that it's not about week by week or month by month. You know, we've got what we're doing now can affect who we work with and what we do in 30, 40 years time. Yeah. And that's when people say about how sort of, oh, how successful has your season been in rugby? And I, my honest answer is, is I don't, I won't know for five, 10, 15 years time yeah. until I know what sort of, until I know what sort of people they're going to be. So if they're like really good people, they're good husbands or good sons, or, you know, they've gone into the world and they're really helping people and they're just genuinely good people. I, I can probably look back and think, yeah, that the two, three, four years they had with me, they, you know, it was successful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that takes great patience in a world where there's very little um, to, to be satisfied that you can do your work now and and that you may not see these kinds of results or outcomes for years later. I mean, that's that's pretty unique. Yeah, it is. I didn't think it was unique until I started to speak to people about it and everyone looked at me as if I was an absolute lunatic. <laughs> So I was, people would be like, what are you going on about? Like, how, how do you actually do your day? Like, how do you do your day job and work with people? But I don't know. It's just, I just, I've, I, I just went on a, a, a massive journey around higher purpose. And for me, that is sort of my higher purpose. And I, I still stay in contact with kids that I coached when I first got into coaching and they've kept in contact with me sort of seven, eight, nine years later. And I go out with food. They're grown men now finishing university and I'll go out for food with them and meet them for drinks and hear about all the exciting things that they're doing with their life. And for me, it's just, it's just good to see that they're really good young, confident men that are going out in the world. And they are, especially this year, I've had loads of them that have contacted me about various mental health issues with lockdown and, university being very different to their last year and, and it's just been nice to see that they're able to talk about it and it goes back to the stuff that I worked on when I coached them around expressing your feelings and it's completely okay to express your feelings and sometimes that might come out in anger sometimes that might come out in tears but it's better to get it out than to keep it in yeah. um, 
and and it's just a, I just think for as, as we said earlier for sort of for young people nowadays it is sort of it's probably harder than it's ever been for anybody um but yeah it does take a lot of patience but again I just I, for me it is that it, it's the bigger picture that it's not just about sort of week to week yes it's important that they're competitive in games and they understand sort of rather than focus on winning focus on them being competitive um so it's great to be competitive because again that's a life skill for when you want to if you want to be successful in a job you're probably going to have to be fairly competitive but that doesn't mean you have to win mm. um and yeah so it's uh, it goes back to me just focusing on values and behaviors and just driving that in any team that i work with yeah i mean look you know that that resonates enormously um but but again my, my sort of question is is how how we can get more and more people to to you know to buy into this this way which is is so much more human so much more sustainable you know so much benefit of the bigger picture when when still there's so much emphasis and and in school sport as well on on the win and and the instant gratification um are, are you aware of the ways that you help the boys to sort of see your way over that? Yeah, I mean, I I always say to any, like, I, and I have come across resistance to it through parents and other coaches, but I always say to anybody in coaching, why do you coach? Understand the reason why you coach and what, and what are the reasons for that? Um, and have an understanding around we're dealing with human beings like regardless of any house they're human beings with feelings and if you're a parent how would you want your own child to be coached think about that Mm -hmm. um and I understand my why of why I coach and that's because I want to help get the best out of people and I want them to become the best version of themselves because as you say getting a win feels really good but that's in my opinion that's a short-term euphoria so you get a win. Oh my God, you feel great that evening, but it wears off quickly. Yeah. And then you go into, you know, you know, you come Monday, no one's talking about it anymore. Like you go into the next week. And then if you lose, everyone's really grumpy. Oh, I've lost the game. How annoying. But again, it's that short term, that short term moment. And it's living for the sort of more long, long term euphoria where actually it feels a lot better when we're focusing on other stuff that's going to help them more long term. Um, because they'll display those values and those behaviours sort of throughout school or when they leave school. And it's just constantly recognising that. Um, and yeah, the hardest thing is just getting people to understand it. And it's just getting them to understand the re- probably the reason why I coach and why I'm doing it is because I want to get the best out of them and help them. Um, and also, is, I think as soon as they understand that, that's probably when you can get the most out of people. Yeah, yeah, no, and you, you put it so so clearly as well. And you know, look, what you're doing there is is you know you're really shaping um, individuals' lives. Um, but then you, you sort of the contrast that to to the professional game, you know, whether it be you know rugby or, or football. You know, I I'm a Liverpool fan, so sort of thinking about the the previous season when it was win 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 win, and and the focus is all on on the wins and 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 seems to necessitate that to be a successful club but of course you know a successful club it comes to the end of the season kind of then what so success is only just this 
this short thing. And yeah, everyone's kind of forgotten about that, that Liverpool winning that season. Well, it was a weird season. We're not forgotten about it, but you know, it's moved on and now someone else has won it and on and on and on. So as you say, that, that, that success, that win is, is literally like that, the snap of a finger. I mean, and that's it. And I mean, that, that Liverpool season last year or the year before when they won the Champions League and they won the Premier League, like the, 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 the way in which they went about it was, was unbelievable. And, and I think it was even better because they hadn't, they, obviously it was their first sort of Premier League win of winning that title and it wasn't a first division one. But as you say, it's forgotten about straight away and that's that short-term euphoria and that's what people can lose sight of. And I know when that sort of professional standards, you have millions of fans out there and they're very much week by week, mm. how many trophies do they win? Yeah. Which is completely understandable. But for that playing core and that group of players and the coaches, again, it's that I'm, I'm probably 100% certain that people like Jurgen Klopp, there's that bigger vision of what they're doing. Mm. Um, I mean, you look at an example of, say, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo left Wolves and the fans are devastated and the, and the area is devastated because he engaged the players and the fans and himself with the local community is in, I think, something that he donated £250,000 of his own money to the local children's hospital. The players are working at food banks and they're doing this with local charities. <coughs> so the, the, the local community feels that loss more and people actually aren't talking about how good of a style of football the team played or how many games they won. People are like, oh my God, what a loss for the local area. Like he did so much for us. Yeah. And that comes back to that. People look back on what you did over that period of time. And I know, you know, you, people probably won't talk about the winning. They'll talk about, oh, do you remember when he did that? Do you remember that memory that, that, that was created? And it might not be football related. It could be to do with something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, if, if it was all about the win for football or rugby or whatever, you know, teams like, well, I was going to say West Ham, but they did very well. You know, they, they wouldn't have any fans. If it was, if it was, if supporting yeah. sport was just about wins, you, you would just have fans kind of supporting two clubs and, and everyone else would have their <laughs> stadiums empty. So, so yeah. clearly <laughs> there is some, although all the hype is, and, you know, here underneath it, as you said, are all these stories and, and remembering, oh, we went, do you remember that game we went to and, and we did that thing and, and the manager did this and this player did that and, oh, we had a great journey or we had great beer after or whatever it was. So creating stories. So, so in essence, then, it sounds like you're, you're helping people to create better stories. And uh, 100%, and that's what, that's how you get people to buy in is creating memories for them because they remember the memories and and the players involved won't go oh do you remember that win we got back in 2017 when we were playing this team or this school it's uh, oh do you remember when this happened or do you remember when we went away as a group and we did this and that and that's how you create a buy-in and that's where you create that sort of bond which is going to help them throughout life mm-hmm. and especially with the stuff that I did with um with Scotland we we did stuff around best player gets to wear a cap and it's this red superman cap with a superman badge on it and we did sort of pantos and sort of they've got to come up with they've got to work in groups of four or five and come up with a little play and they've got to perform it in front of the coaches and all that kind of stuff and these lads like we're, i mean it was only 
it was a couple of months ago. He's he's under eighteen now, but he was with us at under sixteens, and uh, a couple of them had got together, and one of them had the Superman hat on still, and he sent it to one of the coaches, and it got put into our group chat, and it was just great to see that like they've made a friendship, but also you know they're not talking about oh that we played against sort of. Uh, sort of like a, a Welsh under 16s team. They're talking about the sort of the moments that they enjoyed with each other, yeah. and that's and that's sort of I think that's what we've got. That's the power we've got as coaches is we can actually give these kids amazing experiences where it's all about them because it is at the end of the day. Like it's not about us as coaches. Like we should just see our job is to facilitate the best environment for them to sort of have some fun, play around curiosity excitement all the things when we were kids that helped create us you know curiosity excitement joy playfulness all things we did when we were kids well what does that do it creates memories and imagination um and yeah sort of heston blumenthal said without memory we have no imagination and without imagination we're not humans yeah so like sort of for me like uh, something's happening where we're losing that along the way as adults and we forget about that and then that's why I think a lot of kids probably have a bad experience in certain sporting environments yeah yeah no that, that's it isn't it that's it those those stories those those experiences and 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 the playfulness and imagination as you said which which I'm assuming is is just routine for you it's just the way that you do it with people yeah like that that's there's no better way than kids coming to a session and you say to them, what do you want to do? Like, let's play a game. We're going to, it's going to be sort of, uh, I like using a netball or a football or a volleyball as opposed to a rugby ball. Just put, just put the sort of put the ball in there and let the kids go away, create their own rules, like have a block in a session where they've got 15, 20 minutes where they can just do what they want. And we just watch as coaches and, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but Rich Rich Chiefham. No. So he's the uh, he's the head, head. So he's the lecturer at Winchester University, and he is basically the godfather of sort of playfulness in oh. sort of learning through play and yeah. coaching through play is what he's about. And uh, I've learned a lot from him, and and that is one of the things of you know sessions can be fun, they can be full of playfulness because that's where the best learning happens. Um, and that's what I sort of take into every sort of every session. And I want the players to, you know, to have joy, to be excited and to have some curiosity because that's where you're going to get those powerful learning moments for them. You know, when, as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm thinking, God, you know, it's, I hope that, that lots of other, you know, particularly young coaches coming through whatever sport, um are are kind of taking this this on board and and you mentioned before about meeting resistance inevitable um i mean a couple of things on that i mean one what what kind of resistance have you met and then secondly how have you overcome that to stick to your principles um so the school i worked at a few years ago it's mandatory now in rugby that everyone gets a half game up to under 18 um, but the school, we brought that in at the school long before sort of it became RFU policy. And a lot of parents couldn't understand, well, what, what, why is my son being brought off? All that kind of stuff. He's only played half a game. So then it's about creating that dialogue with them around sort of why we're doing what we're doing. And that was the biggest one for me was my biggest failure was not explaining it to parents enough. 
So first season in, sort of just went ahead and did what I wanted to do. And then had came across lots of stumbling blocks, lots of roadblocks. And I just kept on thinking, like, if I'm honest, I can't, like, why are the parents saying this? Why are they having a go at me? What, like, why don't they understand? But actually, when I reflected back on it, I actually hadn't created any dialogue with them. I, I hadn't told them why we're doing this. Mm. So sort of that second, third season, fourth season, fifth season, we'd get the parents in, <coughs> get tea, coffee, cakes, everything in, get them all in sit them down and say to them, this is what we're going to do. This is what to expect. Uh, this is why we do as coaches what we do. It's because we care for your kids. We generally love your kids and we want to get the best out of them and we want to help them. And we're going to look more towards sort of developing them as humans. And as soon as we did that, we, we, we sort of had a lot less resistance and we didn't get much. We got loads of support actually, like more support than ever. Um, which was great to see, but I just say it's that creating that dialogue with the parents because that's where sometimes a lot of resistance can come from. Yeah, yeah. And and what about other coaches? On you know on your journey, other other coaches have have you met much resistance there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's some some coaches where they they might be teachers and they do it on the side um as part of their sort of extra co-curricular activity they've got to do as part of their contract with the school and some of them might be sort of played rugby during the 80s and 90s sort of they've just coached how they've coached um and uh and then someone comes in with loads of new ideas and it seems really foreign to them so they can be quite um they can put up a lot of walls about it and it's a bit of give and take really it's just about sort of how you work with them and how you question and how you it's almost you're telling them what you want them to do but they think it's their idea yeah. if that makes sense yeah. like you, you know you're you know you're a sort of in a way a, a, a sort of a wolf in sheep's clothing type of thing where you're because uh, you, really that they've got the best interests of the kids at heart it's just maybe how do you coerce them into doing it slightly differently to enhance that child's experience. Yeah. Um, and that can be difficult, but again, it just comes back to that having dialogue with them and sitting them down and just saying, sort of explaining where you're coming from and also listening to what they want. Um, Cause actually like you, you with a lot of older guys and a lot of older coaches that have been around the block quite a lot, you know, I've actually picked up, we had a, a coach who used to play sort of, uh, rugby for a big club back in the 80s it wasn't obviously professional it was all amateur but actually I learned learned quite a few little things around coaching and how to deal with players off him his mm. coaching wasn't the best and it was quite archaic and how he wanted to do sort of bog standard drills and and sort of tell the players what to do but actually underneath all that there was you know there was actually someone who knew quite a lot about the game mm. um, and it's just about understanding that yeah and I, and I guess if you're you're shining the as your sort of star point you're shining you know the spotlight of attention on on that aspect of them that they then feel valued um yeah. that they they've got something they can contribute which which you want to hear and that opens the dialogue yeah and that's that that whole value piece is massive especially working with coaches other coaches as they want it's that little bit of recognition goes a long way and i think a lot of people miss that nowadays where could be even anything like how many how many how many companies and businesses out there celebrate someone's birthday mm -hmm. like you, like if you're in a big company or a big team and you've got 50 60 people 
you, you know you're going to get multiple birthdays in a month but how many how many people celebrate that even get a cake in that like, cakes cost like six pounds like cheap as anything but like showing that bit of recognition of you know having a beer with someone or just saying well done like it gets it goes a long way like a massive way and i just think we kind of that's where if you focus too much on say the winning aspect of it you probably forget to value the people around you which is why they then don't buy into what you want yeah because to because you know to win that means someone's got to lose um for me to be right that means someone else has got to be wrong it's it's all divisive rather than yeah in the sense of togetherness yeah definitely definitely and that that comes back to again of the whole the they'll get annoyed or they get angry because they're not winning or something's not happening the way they want it to happen but actually i always think so we lost a game of rugby so let's have a look at it. Were the players competitive? Yes, they are really competitive. Brilliant bonus. How, were there, there actually were loads of opportunities in the game and they could have scored about 15 tries, but just the, the execution at the end wasn't there. So actually, again, that comes back to us as coaches then. Well, actually, we need to go away and work on this with them and show them this. And, and, it, and it gives us, I always think, sort of the sort of losses and how a team plays always lands on the coach. Um because we should be facilitating those environments that enable them to sort of play the way they want to play on a Saturday. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. When, I mean, just sort of stepping back a little bit again, um, my temptation is to sort of drift back to the, to the motivation interviewing, because, you know, a lot of what you've spoken about here is, is, you know, relational, you know, your relationships, your communication, you know, you taking responsibility as Andy, the coach, um, to, to work in the best possible way with players and, and other coaches. So I can see the attraction to, to motivational interviewing there. Um, are there, I mean, don't need to sort of go into the theories of it, of it all, of the, the sort of the different aspects of it, but, um, but, but what is it about motivation interviewing then that's, that's so useful, do you think, for coaches? Uh, I, the key thing is empathy and listening. They're the two key areas of, I, don't, I think, honestly, uh, the best form of sort of leadership and for coaching is actually just to listen and don't say anything at all. Um, and actually just hear what someone's got to say, especially with young people, just listen to them, um, give that, make them feel like sort of they've got the space to, to talk to you. And there's that sort of approach there. And the second thing is sometimes you will have to tell players that they're not going to start or you'll drop or they're not going to play for whatever reason, or, you know, the, the, they, they might be getting even dropped from the sort of, a system as a whole and and for me the, that then it comes down to empathy so just being honest with them and you know you can tell someone the worst news in the world but if you as long as you're empathetic and you can put yourself into their shoes and sort of avoiding that uh sort of confrontation or an argument you know it's it is really it's really shit news for them to get but actually the way you've delivered it is on their terms and they understand that and that's probably the best sort of those couple of principles from motivational interviewing, especially around the empathy and sort of listening and reflecting on that. Yeah. I, I, I think it's sort of that it's, it's a cornerstone to sort of a, what, what we do basically. Yeah. 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 And, and what are your views on praise and, and feedback? 
So, I mean, again, that comes back to the, is the praise and the feedback around the sort of the client, that what the player's goals and values. So um, if it, I, that's where I think so a lot of the time, if it's around that sort of, um, if I work with a player, we'll have an IDP, which is their goals and it'll have their values on it. So then my feedback is based around that. So it's not, it's not like a foreign entity. If I just pick something out of the blue to say, you're not working on that. It's, it's directly linked to something that we've had dialogue with before. Um, and again, it's that giving the feedback is that hint of empathy on it of, you know, I'm not, I'm going to be honest with them, but at the same time, I'm going to deliver it in a way that they're expecting it to be delivered. So the guards are not up. They don't put a wall up and they're going to, they're going to sort of be a bit more sort of open to what I'm saying to them because they understand where it's coming from. <coughs> yeah. yeah. And then and what about the sort of the praise side of things? Because there, there seems to be a place for praise and then sometimes not. Yeah. Like I, I probably, I praise quite a lot in the environments that I work in. As I said earlier, I praise the intent of what players do and the behaviours. Um, and I do think praise is um, is very, very important. Um, and it's got to be contextual. So ensure that when you are praising, you're praising what has just happened. So it's really hot and it's fresh in the player's mind. So they understand what you're praising them for. But then at the same time, we've got to be slightly careful with it, that we're not just praising all of the time and everything the player hears is constant praise um, yeah. because I don't think that's good because they don't learn. Um, and it can go the other way where actually they get so much praise, they think everything they do is amazing. Mm-hmm. And then they think, to, so then when I say, oh, you've got to work on this, they're a bit like, what do you mean I've got to work on this? I thought everything I did was amazing. <laughs> so that's that's so that's where the sort of whole like MI thing comes in because it's that whole... Um, thing around it's all structured praise almost if that makes sense I hate using I know people hate using the word structure because that everyone wants everything to be sort of free-flowing and creative and all that kind of stuff but having that sort of framework and structure can help massively with sort of praise and feedback and how you do that yeah yeah and and do you do you do any kind of work with with parents on on that or do parents come to you and say look you know I mean, they're not necessarily coaching their kids, but they might be, you know, playing with them or they might be just talking about it. Do, do you have sort of advice for parents on, on how, to, how to support and guide their, their kid that's, that's playing sport? Yeah, well, I have a, I, funnily, I had, I've had a couple of parents in the past that have come up to me and said that they usually find the, uh, the car journey home quite awkward after a game or a training session. And, and that's quite common, I think. And I look back to when I was a kid and I always hated the car journey home from sport of rugby with my parents, because especially with my dad, because he's very much like, what did you do? Why didn't you do this well? All this kind of stuff. Because yeah. it's like, um, but, but yeah, I always just, my advice is just, just listen to them. Just listen to what they've got to say and, and, and question in a way that sort of that open-ended question for them where, you know, sort of like, how was it? How did you find it? But just giving them the giving them the time to just sort of open up and listen and let them talk about it. Um, and I always say, I, I don't know, I just think the majority of every parent wants the best for their children. And I always think that doesn't change just because it's a sporting context, just because we're now in an, an, like an elite environment, which is what a lot of parents and stuff see academies and sort of age grade Scotland stuff as. Um, 
but I always think it's uh, usually I sometimes find that parents can give different support for sort of academic schoolwork and for them playing sport when actually let's just focus on just supporting them as we would imagine it's just both together so just support them and make sure you're there for them and just listen that's the key one for me is just listen to them because yeah. um, those car journey car journey home can be really useful and I, I love getting play, like parent feedback and I say to them oh the car journey home like sort of what did he think of the session and sometimes they might say oh he really enjoyed it but other times they, they might say oh actually he didn't enjoy it as much he struggled and then for me that's a, a really good in then to find out well why did they struggle what could I have done better as a coach to um to sort of maybe structure the session a bit differently to ensure that everyone's got something out of it yeah it kind of goes back to to what you were saying earlier on about you know time away from games and training sessions you know the, the kind of the downtime you know if you're with a squad for a weekend you know over really having breakfast or, or tea or, or chilling out in the evening or, or on the journey they they seem to be really valuable times when perhaps the guard is down a little bit people are a little bit more relaxed and so might open up a tad more yeah definitely and those I've I was lucky enough where I spent um I've spent quite a lot of time with Google and they talk around this quite a lot around their casual collisions and their casual collisions is uh, how someone who like Google don't believe in the whole like sort of management structure, micromanagement, all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that they told me about was how they'll view casual collisions as a great time to speak to each other. So that could be in the line, getting a coffee or sat down in the canteen eating. It's because it's away from that work setting um, where people are a bit more free and they're, they're, they're more likely to sort of open up. And then I just put that into a rugby context of, as you say, car journey home or, you know, if we travel away as a team and we're on the coach, go like go and sit by one of the players and just dot yourself as coaches, dot yourself around the coach to chat with people. Um, or if we're in camp and, we, you know, we, we have we're lucky where we get to stay in hotels. It's sort of going rather than having the coaches table, which I hate how all the coaches and all the adults sit together and the kids are on one side. Go yeah. and sit with the kids. Like go and have food with someone like you might have 10 or 11 players that you get on really well with go and find someone who maybe you you haven't got to spend as much time with and just go and speak to them. Like, not even about rugby stuff. I think what a lot of people, a lot of players might say to you if they say about me is that I've very rarely I've spoken about rugby with Andy. It's always been around, oh, he's telling me about football or we're speaking about this or where, where like, he asked me about where I'm from and all this kind of stuff because that sort of... Uh, you're building that level of trust there with them because you show, you're showing uh, a bit of care because you is in, you're showing an interest in their life. So straight away, they're going to have, there's a bit of dialogue. And then for me, those sorts of having the sort of trust um, showing that you care, that's the sort of foundation for building a relationship and sort of without that relationship, I don't think you can probably coach somebody to get what I want to get out of them anyway, which is realizing what their best is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit like um, Steve's. I, I love. I don't know if it's his, but but he was the one I I heard it from first. Was just the, you know, you you're knocking on the door, um, with with that kind of you know sitting with them, asking a few gent, you know, how are you doing or where are you from or or whatever. It's that that gentle knock on the door, and then they might open the door and and open up a little bit to you, and and if that goes well, then then come in, come in. And, and if you're invited in, you don't go in and rearrange the furniture of someone yes. else. Yeah. 
I, I love that. And, that. and that's really, really stuck with me. Obviously, I work with people who are suffering with, you know, persistent pain and, and ongoing injuries and that, that kind of thing. And so the, the preamble, the, the conversation you have, it's, it's not just pointless talk. It's, it's really, you know, showing that you see them as, as a person, an individual. And that's what really shines out from all of the things that you're saying here. You, you, you see that person first. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's what, and that's what I think we've got to really, really remember is we're dealing with. At the end of the day, we're dealing with human beings. Like, yes, they're just they just happen to be talented rugby players, and they're good at a sport, but they are human beings at the end of the day, and that's massive because, uh, like, the reality is that zero point one percent of the people that I deal with will go and be a professional rugby player. So everything we do is catered around sort of making them better at sort of passing, catching, tackling, all that kind of stuff. But actually, what a waste of my time if that's all I focus on when actually the reality is, is that they're probably not going to go in that direction because they're just the odds are they won't get there. So that's where it's for me, it's focused on all the other soft stuff, the soft skills and the soft factors that other people might ignore because that's what's going to they're going to need that for life. Yeah. Um, and that's why that just comes back to that. We're dealing with humans at the end of the day. They've got feelings. They need to know they need to learn. They need to know that they can express the feelings. And when they do express it, that someone's there to listen to them. And that's what comes back to the sort of the, the MI stuff again. Whereas if someone opens up about something, you're there to listen yeah. and you show empathy because, you know, how many times has someone tried to open up about something and they get shut down? Mm. And that might, that might be the first time they've ever tried it. And then in their head, they're thinking, well, I've just been shut down here, so I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. Um, and that's, that, that, that's sort of massive for me where if someone opens up, just listen to them and give them the space to talk. Because again, that comes back to showing them that, oh, great, I might have cried or it might have come out angry, but I, I, I know that I can express emotion. Yeah. So you're, you're there, you're really talking about being available, aren't you? Which is such a big thing in parenting, you know, being available there for your kids. And, and you're talking about being available there for, for these kids and then, you know, young, young adults. To, to be there, though, as an as a individual, as, as you, that, that takes a lot. As in, you know, you need to be very self-aware, you need to be very present. So how do you... How do you look after yourself to be able to be available? Um, I, I really work hard on making sure that when, when I'm in work, I'm in work and I, I'm giving the people that I'm with 100% of my attention. And, I, I'm, and that's quite hard because you can deal with lots of people on one day and it can be quite draining. And for me, sometimes I have to make sure that I even little things for me is getting enough sleep and making sure that I look after myself and that I spend time away and I take holidays when I need them. And if I'm not working, I'm not working. Um, but even for me, like I've, you know, I, I say to the kids and stuff, I've, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. And I'm proud of the fact that I will go in. I've, I've spoken to people professionally about just opening up about things that have happened when I was younger or my childhood. Like, you know, I'm, I'm very open to the fact that I do that. And for me, that helps me because it declutters my mind and I can, I can, I, I can sort of put that out to a version of myself, basically to someone, a psychiatrist that I might go and pay to see, talk to just, just, and with that person there, sometimes if I have a session with them, I'll just talk to an app, I'll talk to them for an hour and it might just be 
about just random stuff but it's not random stuff it's stuff that's on my mind that i need to get out there um but yeah so that, that's that's probably sort of the sort of coping things that i do to ensure that when i do get into work and i work with these kids that i can give them the time that i i know they deserve yeah 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 and and in terms of things like you know your own you know ex- do you exercise do you do you use breathing or mindfulness or any do you have any sort of day-to-day tools that you use to look after yourself yeah, well, I, I mean, I suffer from arthritis really badly. So, um, and I didn't, re- I only found out when I was 24, 25. Um, and it crippled me massively when I was younger. Um, mm-hmm. I always used to get really bad aches and pains all over my body. Like, and I used to always think, oh, it's because I've been to the gym or I've played rugby. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I'm sort of, remember being 18, 19 years old and I'd play a game of rugby and I'd have to have like four days off from doing anything because, mm-hmm my joints were in such a bad state and uh, I went through all the tests and all that kind of stuff and they said oh no no it's fine it's fine and then I saw a specialist in London who basically said like did loads of tests and was like you've got arthritis and I had no idea about it before um, and yeah that I, for me that means that so I, I, I'm now doing the right exercise to help that so sort of swimming bike yeah. making sure that I have a good diet so I can keep the weight off so I don't have extra weight on my joints especially my knees and my ankles and my hip yeah um so I've really got to look after myself in that way but before that hand I wasn't I was sort of running doing loads of weights Mm. not not having the best diet in the world and that was having a that was having a massive effect on me and that was impacting my work which I didn't realize at the time because you don't um it takes someone to say that to you to say that actually is everything okay um but yeah so that i i do spend quite a lot of time looking after myself and it's only sort of recently um i've I've spoken to a lot of uh sort of mindfulness coaches that work with rugby teams down in australia and new zealand and how they use mindfulness and they're in full time with sort of professional rugby teams working with the players and actually uh there's, there's a lot to take from that i think is is that something that you practice yourself then yeah, yeah, like honestly, even even just like taking time out to just be quiet with yourself and um, even it could be the just like relaxing music and just taking time to sit in quiet and just, just, just like it sounds weird and people might not understand it, but just being at one and just making sure, just, just giving you that time away, just quiet, no noises, no traffic, no phone, no sort of looking at your laptop all day. Because I think that is really important just to be able to just, just disengage yourself from that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, obviously there's an explosion of mindfulness and, and, and a lot of misunderstanding around what it is as well. Um, probably because it's become a bit of a commodity to sell, but, um, but yeah, you know, some people can find that really blissful to just, you know, go and sit somewhere. Other people find it extremely difficult and painful. I don't necessarily mean ouch pain, but just, just the thought of sitting on their own in silence is just like whoa no way i, yeah. I can do that um so interesting that that it's it's something that seems to be used as perhaps standard in in australia and new zealand is is it that way yet here no the- not like we're so far behind in the northern hemisphere it's it's actually it's actually bordering on shocking in my opinion because you look at I know speaking to guys at the Brumbies down in Australia, speaking to people at the Crusaders and the Highlanders, they, they've got mental skills coaches and that focus on well-being, like working with them on a daily basis. They have 
uh, like full-time psychologists in there working with the players. And I don't know any, I do not know any rugby team in the Northern Hemisphere that has employed full-time well-being coaches, uh, mental skills coaches, psychologists. It just, I don't think, we. I think we pay lip service to it here, if I'm going to be really honest. Like we talk about, we, we it gets teams put it out there on Twitter and Instagram and they talk about it but actually it's one thing to talk about it but it's another thing to actually do it and reinforce it and um yeah I think that in that aspect they are they are incredibly far ahead of us down in uh, sort of Australia and New Zealand um and then people wonder why they why they perform so well and why New Zealand are so good and why they play such a good standard of rugby and it's because the players are just really comfortable with themselves and they get the help off the pitch just as much as they get help on the pitch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you're right. There's, there's such a difference, isn't there, between what people say is happening and what, what is actually happening. I mean, even in the, in the, in the field of, of persistent pain and, and injury, you know, it's, it's, that raises eyebrows in, in the professional sports field when I talk to people in the, and it's not, you know, even covering that, you know, recurring injury, or, or this problem that's not going away that that's seen as as you know something that's quite alternative to you know which you you scratch your head at I was chatting to a psychologist recently who, who's worked a lot in you know in professional football who's been arguing this that you know th- these are the types of roles that need to be regular in teams to look after the players what kind of message are we giving to players then if because they must be aware that in other parts of the world these services are being done properly you know, it's not, they're not secrets. So they must think, well, some of them must be like, well, why, why are we not getting this, this care, this, this support when actually it's important to recognize that we're humans? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where that comes back to, I could be wrong on this, but it's, it's, it's my opinion. It comes back to that bigger purpose piece of why are we coaching? And I know, I know for a fact that New Zealand and so, like Southern Hemisphere teams value winning and being competitive, and obviously that they want to win titles. But actually, they talk so passionately about caring for the players and making sure they're okay. And I think that's where we get it slightly wrong, where we have so much pressure up here to for teams to not get relegated and to win games. Um, and players are in on sort of twelve month contracts and two year contracts, and actually you know, we're working on a very week to week basis where actually we, we need to be focusing on, on actually our, first, our primary role as coaches is to ensure that the players are cared for and we look after them. And that just isn't about making sure they've got good physiotherapy to make sure that if they get an injury, they're better. Let's actually have a look at um, the sort of mental side of things. Like so many players retire and, or drop out of the game and they suffer from like, um, Low, a, a range of issues and a lot of it, it comes down to their mental well-being because they don't know how to handle situations and it, it I, the money that's chucked around in rugby nowadays it's not asking a lot to employ two or three people full-time when um, rugby clubs will have huge S&C departments where they'll have five or six seven eight nine people and the same with football working in them and it, it would just be refreshing to see we put the same emphasis on physical ability as we do on mental ability yeah well there's an error in thinking that that these two are separate but that's still a predominant sort of cultural belief 
um, you know, the, the idea that the mind and the body are separate, you know, that's just not the experience we have as, as human beings. Um, and uh, we've just got to hope that, that, you know, as you said, someone will, will take a bit of a punt and, and start doing it and then, and then see. But again, you know, they, it depends on how they measure it, doesn't it? If they're looking for, well, is this going to, are we going to start winning more games if we have some of these people in doing this kind of thing? Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. But in the long term, you're going to have players who feel cared for, as you said. And I think that's such a great lens to to come through. You know, could you go to any player that you work with and say, hey, do you feel cared for by this, this setup that, that you're in? And to hear, yes, I do would mean that, that they're getting this kind of rounded care, this, this holistic care covering all, all aspects. And, you know, great that there's, there's money in rugby, great that people have, you know, these opportunities to have careers. But the flip side of that is always going to be the fear of, well, what happens if I get injured? What happens if it suddenly comes to a stop? Now what? Exactly. And that's the, that you've hit the nail on the head there. It's that, I'd love to do a survey and ask players exactly that. How many of you feel cared for? Because again, that care is that value. And if you can, if players know that they're cared for and you value them, they're going to buy into what you're about more. And they, they, they just like, it's that simple. I, I just, I see it as really simple, just caring for the players around you. And as you say, you know, yes, it might not help you win on a Saturday, but I probably think in the long term, it is going to help for long term success of your business or organisation or team because they feel cared for. They feel loved in the environment and they know that, for instance, if you've got a, a, a psychologist or a mental skills coach working with the team and they're, they're open, they have a relationship with the player and they're able to speak to them and then all of a sudden have it all the time where a player might just need three or four days off to spend with his family because he just feels very stressed out and you just allow, allow that to happen. Like I know Steve Kerr, who's an NBA coach in America um, this season, one of his players had like three weeks off because it was to do with family reasons and he just needed time with his family and he gave him those three weeks off and, you know, there was no pressure on him to come back. And it's like uh, Ferguson with Ronaldo when Ronaldo's dad was dying in hospital and Ferguson said, if you want to go one day, one week, one month, you can go. Like, we'll miss you. You're important to the team, but your family and how you are is the most important. Yeah. And that's why I always look at, I know people talk about the Ferguson hairdryer and he was probably quite a tyrant at times, but all those players talk about how much that he cared for them. Yeah. And even Darren Fletcher, who suffered from... Um, stomach ulcers and it almost ended his career like he didn't play for Man United for like two or three years two or three seasons but they kept him on the books they kept him part of the team and then he came back and he played a full two seasons and then moved on to another team but they supported him mm. through all of the treatment they didn't go they didn't see him as a commodity and they just let him go because oh he can't he can't play every week they actually was like we've well, got a duty of care yeah. to actually look after him, make sure he's okay and ensure that he is able to move forward with his life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if someone like him, Ferguson can do it, who's the most successful manager of all time, I, I don't see why others can't. 
Yeah. But that's it, you know, the duty of care, isn't it? Maybe, maybe that needs to be within, you know, perhaps even a written contract within, you know, when someone plays for for a club. And 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 you know, we we can extend that through to, to amateur sport as well, because you know, how many kids, you know, get a rough ride at their local sports club, you know, whatever sport they're playing in terms of how they're treated for selection, is it done on merit or, or how's it done? You know, are are they cared for in this in this rounded way? I mean, obviously, you don't need full psychology and all that kind of thing going on at the, that sort of level. Um, but I just think that the caring about individuals, you know, needs to be from bottom all the way up to the top. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I I completely agree, and it, it it would just be nice to see more more teams display that. And I I, I think it will happen in. And the more sort of the as the years pass by, I think it it, it will happen more quickly. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just it comes back to that, you know. For every day and week that goes past where it's not displayed, that's more players and more people affected by it. When when we could help them, yeah, yeah, and and you know I can't remember that brilliant quote. I'm gonna have to get you to send me the quote about the uh, the tree. Who whose quote is that, by the way? Oh, so that's uh, that's a, that's from that's a Greek philosophical uh, quote, um, and it's society grows great when old men plant trees, the shade of which they will never sit in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's about it's about knowing that you know what you're doing now isn't to benefit yourself; it's to benefit something that's going to happen in five, ten, fifteen, fifty years time. Yeah. Um, and that, for me, that's that, that's that's really important, um, and it's a very powerful quote, and I really like it. And that's probably, you know, that's my sort of coaching philosophy right there in one quote. Um, even though I stole it from the Greeks, but um, <laughs> I, I really like it because, again, it, I I think that it's that wider context of, um, it's like a, a farmer who plants peri pears, a peri pear tree, uh, from a sapling. He's got to wait 35 to 40 years before that's going to fruit and provide actual pears. Yeah. So again, it's that whole thing, you know, you, you plant a pear for your heirs sort of mentality of, uh, and that comes back to sort of when I farmed, um, you, you're looking into the future of something that's going to benefit and create a legacy. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that's just such an awesome way to think about, you know, coaching. Um, whatever you happen to be coaching, whether it be in, in sport, in business, in, in health. Um, and, you know, even this, this conversation, you know, who, who knows what kind of rippled effects when people listen to what you're saying will, will have in a positive way. And that's feeding into what we were saying a minute ago about, you know, in the future, things can get better. You know, hopefully it's these kinds of conversations and people listening to them that will, that will lead to that. That's brilliant. Um, where, where can people um, find out about your work? Um, so I'm on. I, I'm mainly active on on Twitter. So just like if you just search Andrew Brownhill on Twitter, I'll, I'll come up on there. Um, and yeah, if anyone ever wants to contact me, um, just drop me a message, direct message on there. My direct my direct messages are open. So yeah, you just message me on there, and, and then I'm happy. As I say, like I'm had a few zoom calls over the past sort of few weeks, especially during lockdown, just with anyone and anyone that's interested in sort of what I do and how I go about what I do. I'm, as I say, I'm more than happy to share anything that I've got with people. And if people want to have a chat or me to speak to anyone, then yeah, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, 
always share all my information that I've got and, and, you know, nothing's to hide. You know, the more people that I talk to, the better, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, no, absolutely. And, and you've got so many great messages to, to share that, um, you know, my gentle encouragement to you would, would be, you know, if you were to be writing blogs, they'd be very well received um with all the time that you have not yeah. <laughs> um yeah it, you know there just needs to be this stuff out there and so if you if you ever do write it then then let me know or if you there's, yeah. there's, a, book, there's a book in here somewhere as well and, and all the rest of it then yeah let me know and i'll, I'll happily be sharing sharing <laughs> brilliant uh, it's been a fantastic conversation i'm so glad that we um we've we've done this um and um you know may, maybe there's more to come so maybe we'll catch up again down the line and, and sort of see where things are yeah definitely my pleasure as I say I'm always happy to always happy to come on and yeah keep keep talking keep rabbiting on about stuff fantastic <laughs> all right no worries good to catch up take care yeah. and you thank you very much appreciate it <laughs>